Cheryl, thank you very much. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to please open it to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. This morning, our text will be chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Just to give you a brief update and report with regarding my daughter Emma, we're still seeing more and more movement in her legs, uh, that she's doing more and more on command. And we just praise the Lord for that. Um, it was kind of funny at therapy on Wednesday morning, we were discussing with the therapist that is this movement just a reflex or is it something that Emma's doing intentionally? And Jody and I, of course, feel like it's intentional, but it was funny because as we were discussing that, Emma heard us and she started moving her left leg as if to say, it's me, it's me doing it, no doubt. So we praise the Lord for that and ask you to continue praying. This month we're thinking and focusing on worship. It's very important to remember that we are worshiping beings. Every human worships. There is something or someone that we will put at the center point of our lives, that we will build our lives around, focus on, and expend our passions and our energy upon. The issue is not, will we worship? The question is really, what will we be worshiping or who? If anything takes that center place other than God, the scripture refers to that as idolatry. And idolatry always leaves death in its wake. That's why the scripture is so clear, as Pastor Nathan read this morning, that we ascribe glory to God and God alone. Now Paul deals with the issue of worship. Deals with it all throughout his letters. And this morning, I direct our attention to Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, to begin thinking about what drives our worship. Follow with me as I read this text. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you please bow with me as we pray? Gracious Lord, thank you for loving us with a love that is eternal and unfading. Thank you, Father, that we can say with confidence that there is nothing in heaven or upon this earth that can separate us from your love in Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we ask for your Spirit to work within us and among us today. We are prone to forget, Lord. We are prone to live our lives as if there's something more valuable than you are. Forgive us for that, Father. And I pray that you would direct us towards yourself. Help us this morning to love you more deeply and passionately. So, Father, work within our lives. And grant us this morning the fullness of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 
all of us in many ways are creatures of habit. Traditions, things that, that we do. Now, around New Year's, the Herod family has always had certain traditions that we would do. Now, growing up, my mom and dad had a tradition that I didn't take part in, and neither did my grandpa Herod. Every New Year's Day, my mom and dad would eat hog jowl and black-eyed peas. They said it brought them good luck. Papa Herod never ate that because he said the last time he did, Herbert Hoover was elected president. And so he stopped at that point. One of the traditions that the Herod family Johnson City follows is we'll always watch part of the Rose Bowl Parade, the Tournament of Roses Parade on New Year's Day. It just kind of... That thing that takes you, me back anyway to my childhood and seeing these huge floats decorated with flowers just moving through the streets of Pasadena, it's beautiful. And I can only imagine the intricacies and the level of detail that one has to oversee to make that happen. And of course, with any event of that nature, something's bound to go wrong. A few years ago, something did go wrong. One of the floats in the parade stopped in the middle of the street. The parade was put on halt until they could figure out how to get the gas to the float to refill it. It had run out of gas in the middle of the Tournament of Roses parade. And to make matters worse, that float was sponsored by the Standard Oil Company, <laughs> which we know as Chevron today. The irony is not lost upon us. Something that is advertising gas and oil running out of gas. I wonder if the thing could be said of our worship. Are we running out of gas? As we hold clearly that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be exalted and God is at work within us. Are we like that float from the Standard Oil Company of advertising one thing but demonstrating something else? You see, just like that float ran on gas, worship is fueled by something. For some, worship is fueled by tradition. Why do we worship? Why do we do what we do? Well, we just do. It's what I grew up doing. It's what my parents did, my grandparents did. And so tradition begins to drive worship. But here's the problem. If we follow tradition without stopping to ask the question, why? Why are we doing this? That tradition becomes idolatry. Because we're just doing it because you do it. Sometimes for others, it's the idea that going to church is just what you're supposed to do. It's kind of, it checks our, our moral checklist. We've gone to church, we're a, a good person, and that's what good people do. And even though our society is changing rapidly, here in the South, there can still be that thought process. We go to church because you're a good person. And we lose the whole point of church. Because just showing up in and of itself is not pleasing to God. I think in Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, the apostle shows us the fuel for worship. He shows us what drives worship. And it's found clearly in verse 18 of being filled with the Spirit. Now the reason Paul addresses this, ever since chapter 4 in Ephesians, Paul has been drawing this contrast before what it means to live as children of the light and what it means to walk in darkness. 
He's been teaching the church that because we have been redeemed, we will live differently than the world around us. We shouldn't fall into step with the things that the world does. In fact, you can see a, a parallel idea. If you look at verse 17, Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think verse 18 is parallel to that. Whereas verse 17 says, don't be foolish. What does Paul begin verse 18 with? Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. Verse 17, he says, rather than being foolish, understand what the will of the Lord is. Look at verse 18. Rather than being drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the will of God. For us to be filled with the Spirit. But the question is, why does Paul begin, verse 18, with this negative that seems to come out of nowhere? Just out of the blue, he says, don't be drunk with wine. I think there are two reasons and they are connected. As I said a moment ago, Paul has been drawing this contrast of what it means to live according to God in a world that is not living according to God. So there are two ways to live. You can live according to the light or you can live according to the darkness. You can live according to pagan ways or you can live according to God. And that's why he follows that with the idea of being filled with the Spirit. Because if you and I are living by the Spirit, we are going to stand out in contrast to the world around us. Because the world around us says, follow your heart. The world around us says, follow whatever the latest opinion poll says. But for the believer, we are rooted in being filled with the Spirit and following God. So Paul draws this contrast to say that for the believer... There is nothing else that is to be controlling us other than the Spirit of God. The second reason is connected to it. This goes to the background of the church at Ephesus. The members of this congregation at Ephesus more than likely did not come out of the Jewish faith. Most of them had come out of a Gentile background, which means they worshipped a whole host of other gods. And one of the gods they worshipped was a god by the name of Dionysus. And the worship of this god, this, this cult, was one that was very popular throughout Ephesus and Colossians and all around the area. And the worship of Dionysus would involve one getting drunk so that they could channel the spirit of Dionysus through them so they could act in accord with the will of Dionysus. And that will and those, those worship services, those pagan worship services, usually led to gross sexual immorality. And that's why Paul says, rather than falling back into your pagan patterns of behaving, don't be drunk with wine. You don't need that. You need the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that will lead you. So Paul is drawing this clear distinction that as believers, we are to be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, living by the Spirit. Now, this is not the first time the Holy Spirit has been mentioned in the book of Ephesians. Paul has mentioned in chapter 1 that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have the, the mark of God upon us in the Holy Spirit. The idea of sealed speaks of security. We are secure because of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We can sadden the Spirit by what we do. And now he comes in verse 18 to say, Be filled with the Spirit. Now being filled with the Spirit 
doesn't mean a higher level of Christianity. There are those who would teach and they would say that every believer is saved and has a little smattering of the Spirit. But if you want to go to that next level of being truly spiritual, then you must seek a filling of the Holy Spirit. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about living in submission to God. And as we live in submission to God, the fullness of God comes into our lives. The Holy Spirit does. And the Spirit fills us with the good things of God because the Spirit fills us with God Himself. Draw your attention to verse 18 to the word be filled, that command. Fill and fullness are the same word. This idea of being filled with fullness is found throughout the book of Ephesians. Look back a few chapters to chapter 3. I draw your attention to verses 17 through 19. Paul is lifting up a prayer for the believers. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, the next phrase is what I want you to see. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, chapter 5, verse 18 is not the first time Paul talks about being filled. We are to be filled with the fullness of God. Look over to chapter 4, verse 13. As Paul is talking about the role of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and that role is to equip the saints to build up the body of Christ. In verse 13, he speaks of the goal of building up the body. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Spirit of God to mature manhood, look at the next phrase, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then you come to chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Do you see this Trinitarian pattern? As believers, we are to be filled with God. We are to be filled with, this, with Christ. And we are to be filled with the Spirit. And they are not working against each other. Remember that God is one. We recognize that as one member of the Trinity works, the other two members are involved. There is never a moment where one part member of the Trinity steps back to watch the other members work. It is all involved. It is really all-inclusive. In other words, all the fullness of God that we desire, peace, patience, love, kindness, joy, gentleness, self-control, all those things come about as we are filled with the Spirit because when we have the Spirit, we have God. When we have God, we have Jesus. So it is all in one. A few years ago, a friend of mine and Jody's blessed us with an incredibly good gift. They gave us a, a trip to a resort that was all-inclusive. And I want to tell you, if you ever get a chance to go somewhere that is all-inclusive, go. Because it is a great joy when you sit down to eat and you're at this restaurant and you finish. And instead of getting the check, they simply ask you, what room are you in? And you tell them, and it's like, whew. And you can do all these things and everything is paid for. It's all together. 
the Spirit of God is all-inclusive. To have the Spirit is to have the fullness of God, is to have Christ. It is all together and all in one because the Spirit brings God into our lives, which brings transformation and fills us with the good things of God. Now, how do we know then that we are filled with the Spirit? Now, this is where we have to think not just in terms of individuals, but as a congregation. You see, some would tell you that the way you know a congregation is filled with the Spirit of God is there will be these charismatic manifestations. I find it very interesting. Paul doesn't even mention any of that here where he talks about being filled with the Spirit. What you do find is that Paul talks about corporate worship. The reason I say that is because in verses 19 through 21, Paul gives five characteristics of people that are filled with the Spirit of God. And you're going to notice something about these characteristics. They are horizontal and they are vertical. To be filled with the Spirit of God impacts relationships. And you'll notice that in these descriptors that Paul gives, it deals with how we relate to one another in the context of worship. And he says that worship is not just about the horizontal, it's about the vertical. So how do we know we're filled with the Spirit? Five characteristics. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is part of the relational, the horizontal. Notice where Paul moves right after being filled with the Spirit. He talks about how we sing to each other in a relational context. Now the question begs to be asked. What in the world does singing have to do with being filled with the Spirit? Now we could say because singing is a manifestation of joy. And I wouldn't argue with that. But I think there's even an even deeper level. One of the challenges that teachers, preachers, and theologians have is how in the world do you describe the Trinity? Because any example of the Trinity eventually leads you into something that is, is incorrect. I think that the best example of the Trinity is music. I understand that within music, there are four parts. Soprano, alto, baritone, and bass. If I'm singing, I usually make a fifth or sixth part somewhere in there. If you take those four parts and you have a group singing, those four parts blend so that it sounds like one deep voice, multifaceted. You have different parts that are one. Is that not the Trinity? Three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, yet one. And we manifest that as we join together to sing. So if somebody asks you, what did you do at worship today? You can say, we engage through hymnody in a Trinitarian theological exercise. Because that's exactly what we're doing. We're reflecting the nature of God as we sing. But notice, he says you're singing to one another. And you're singing in psalms, which are the, the words that we have in Psalm 1 through 150 and other places in the Scripture. Hymns that are songs focusing upon the glory of God. Spiritual songs. Songs that are birthed by the Spirit even today. New songs that we sing. 
see, when we sing together corporately, we're not just saying something about who God is. We're building up the body of Christ. You see, when you sing together, there's an encouragement that takes place. You recognize you are a part of something larger. And then even the songs themselves can at times quicken our hearts and quicken our steps and encourage us in pressing on. You can prove that this morning by singing one song. I don't even have to sing the whole song. But I can get a sense of camaraderie just by doing this. Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top. Exactly. On a good year, when you get 100,000 people at Nayland Stadium singing that together, there's this overflowing sense of encouragement, even joy, that says, I'm a part of this. Hymns and how we sing to one another accomplish the same thing. The songs of the faith not only encourage us and remind us of our unity, but they also teach us. You see, often we, we get upset about the wrong things. Often churches have been known to fight about styles of music. That's the wrong issue. You ever notice or ever ask, why in the world doesn't, don't the Psalms have the music recorded with them? It's because the music may change. The issue is the content, the doctrinal content. That's what's crucial. What are we singing? Because music is a, a teaching tool. We learn, we remember through song. In fact, if you sit down with the New Testament, there are more songs in the New Testament than we realize. For example, Philippians 2, 6-11, that wonderful passage where it talks about how Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking upon the form of a servant and humbling Himself, being obedient unto death, even death upon the cross, so that at the name of Jesus, the name of God, might be highly exalted to the glory of God the Father. That was a hymn sung by the early church. They sung that to one another to be reminded of who Jesus is and what He'd done. There are others. 1 Timothy 3.16 is a short course in theology about the incarnation. 2 Timothy 2.11-13 sings of the faithfulness of God. These are hymns that were used to teach. So as we sing, we encourage, we strengthen, we teach. That's part of the horizontal aspect of spirit-filled worship. Now notice where he moves to next. The second and third characteristics are two sides of the same coin. Singing and making melody. Music, once again, emphasized twice. Singing and making melody, but now it's vertical. To the Lord with your heart. We recognize that while we sing, it has an impact on those around us in encouraging and teaching. But here he says, you sing to the Lord. The songs we sing are voicing our praise to the Lord. And understand something, when he says, make it to the Lord with your heart, he's not saying to be silent with your lips. Because sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't sing, I'm singing in my heart. How does that work? I always think of the old children's song when it says, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you are singing to God in your heart, it will come out of your mouth. 
Scripture says, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in fact, what he's saying here when he says to sing, make a melody to the Lord with your heart, he's talking about with passion. With passion. An energy that comes and says, you know what? I want to sing unto the Lord. I want to sing to the best of my ability. And I want to lift it up to Him. Because passion about God makes a difference. Benjamin Franklin, when you read of his life, he was certainly no follower of Jesus Christ. Brilliant man, one of the founding fathers of this country, but never professed faith in Jesus. At best, was agnostic. But he was a supporter not just of, his, of going to hear George Whitfield, but monetarily gave money to him. George Whitfield was a famed evangelist of the 18th century. Sometime, one time somebody asked Franklin, why do you support him when you don't believe a word that he says? And Franklin said, I support him because he believes it. The passion of Whitfield was so great, it caused even non-believers to say, I, don't, I may not agree with him, but he believes something. Let our passion for God be so great that the world around us says, I may not believe them, but they believe something, and their worship shows that. Because we make music and make melody unto the Lord. The next characteristic, number four, is verse 20. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, we are back to the vertical aspect of things. Our music, our singing, our preaching is driven by gratitude. And notice he says, giving thanks always. When we come together, we are a thankful people. Even in the midst of difficulties, of tragedies, of circumstances, we can be thankful for we know that our God has not forsaken us, that He is at work, that He has a purpose in things. That's why he says always. So in many ways, thanksgiving should be the, the, the odor that permeates the air around any congregation that gathers to worship. A people of gratitude gathering in the name of Jesus. If for no other reason, we can give thanks because of Jesus. We thank God the Father for Jesus. And we thank Him for His love. The fifth characteristic is submitting. Once again, you're back to the horizontal. Submitting means to place another above, to consider their needs before your own. He is saying that part of being spirit-filled, a mark of it, is that a congregation will seek how it can serve one another. How can I help the other person? How can I encourage them? Now Paul goes on through the remainder of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 talking about what submission looks like outside of the corporate worship setting. But I have not dealt with one crucial thing. How are we filled with the Spirit? The five things I just went through are characteristics. You want to know if we're Spirit-filled? There's your checklist. But how are we filled by the Spirit? That command in verse 18 is passive. In other words, it's saying God does the filling. But it doesn't mean that you and I don't have a role. The way I think of it is like this. If you've ever gone in for an operation, a surgeon is going to operate upon you. What do you do to help the surgeon? I mean, 
Do you have a mirror there to say, no, that appendix looks a little further down there? Yeah. No. You know the thing you do to help the surgeon? You get on the table and you trust. I think that's the key to being spirit-filled. To get on the table, as it were, before God and say, here I am, Lord, fill me. Fill me, O oh Lord. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want the fullness of God and the fullness of Christ. So this morning I ask you, congregation, as we hold up this checklist of Trinity, do we show signs of being spirit-filled? Are we worshiping by the power of the Spirit? Because if we are, we will address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing and make melody to the Lord. We will give thanks and we will submit to one another. And God will be glorified. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. I'm going to ask Nathan to join me in the front. This morning as you hold up that checklist, as you take a look at it, you may realize, you know what? I've simply been going through the motions. You may recognize that as you come to worship, it is simply out of tradition or it's what you're supposed to do. And this morning, the Spirit of God is, is speaking to you, challenging you to lay your life on the table before the holy, uh, the great physician and allow Him to fill you. Now, that may mean there are some things that have to go. But I can promise you this. There is nothing that you give up for the sake of the gospel that God will not give back or reward you ten, a hundred times more and I say that based upon the scripture so this morning believer I ask you are you wor worshiping with the fullness of the spirit if the spirit of God is convicting you and you may need to step forward we have two kneeling benches on either side of the communion table feel free to come and just kneel and say Lord here I am feel me Lord I desire to, to desire you. Help me, Lord. This morning, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and this idea of being filled with the Spirit has piqued your curiosity, and the Spirit of God is drawing you, if you want to talk with me or Nathan and to say, I want to know more about following Jesus, we would be thrilled to talk with you about that. Maybe even schedule a time in the week ahead to sit down and to go through the plan of salvation. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, then after this prayer we will stand and Mr. Gibson will lead us in singing. Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit to search our hearts. If we have been fueling our worship with anything other than the spirit, forgive us, O oh Lord. And fill us with your presence, O oh Father, that we will have the fullness of who you are, the fullness of Christ, and the fullness of your spirit altogether. Grant this, Father, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together. And if you need to come, step out as we...